we're back with the Be Investable podcast, where listeners come to gain the insight and wisdom around the attitude, skills, and knowledge necessary to be investable. My name is Michael Melfi, and today we look forward to our guest on the show, Mr. Fred Schoenenberg. For the last 15 years, Fred has introduced new formats, first-to-market opportunities, and is known for his award-winning creative solutions. His ability to forge strategic partnerships and grow revenue between not only founders, but corporate partners has been unbelievable. You often see him at industry events such as Ad Tech and South by Southwest and is often a thought leader published in many various journals and media outlets such as Business Insider, Huffington Post, Advertising Week, and Creator Magazine. Without any further ado, I'm looking forward to talking with Fred. Fred, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and, and you know, as we were chatting before we went on the air here, I'm really enthusiastic about the topic we're going to be talking about and about your company. So why don't we start there at the top and, and just talk a little bit about when your company got started, Venture Fuel, when did it get started and why did it start? Yeah, it was interesting. About six years ago, I was running sales and marketing for another company and I was out meeting with the marketing leaders at some of the biggest brands in the world, whether that was Nike or Starbucks, T-Mobile, and in almost every meeting, and, and I'm not exaggerating, someone in the meeting would say the phrase, what is next? And they just kept asking, what is next? And at the time I was frustrated because I was trying to sell them what our company was doing at the time, but they had this, they were almost like questing, right? Like they were questing for new ways to connect with consumers, new ways to unlock growth, how to be better or more efficient in solving their problems. But it just kept coming up over and over again, what is next? And then actually a startup founder that had gone to my high school. I knew he was much younger than I was. I hadn't talked to him in years, reached out to me cold and just said, hey, you know, next time you're out in San Francisco, I'd like to take you to dinner. I just have a lot of questions about working with large corporations. And he had this really interesting company he'd built, but he couldn't get a meeting with the same large brands that I was meeting with over and over again. And as he told me about his business, and then he told me about an accelerator he was in and the companies that were in that, I just had this sort of wow moment of the answer to all these big brands questions around what is next is what's next is now. They just need to learn where to look and how to find these companies and how to kind of embrace them in their corporate culture. And it could be a win for both sides of the business. That is absolutely awesome. So for those listeners who aren't exactly familiar with some of the, you know, I'll say services that you offer, you want to share what Venture Fuel does and the clients it works with? Yeah, hundred percent. So we work with a lot of Fortune 500 companies, everyone from Anheuser-Busch to Pepsi, Nike, General Mills. And with these folks, we sit with them and really help them figure out what problems are they trying to solve dive into those challenges. And then we use emerging startups and new technologies to solve those problems. So we will build internal accelerators for them. We will do less formal sort of problem solving where we'll identify something really specific, really fast. And we work with VCs, accelerators, investors all around the world to kind of identify, hey, who are, who are the best founders and companies out there for whatever this specific problem is? So we're able to, we consider ourselves an innovation consultancy. I hate both those words, innovation (laughs) and consultancy. So I got to come up with something better. But at the end of the day, we're helping large corporations unlock their growth by partnering with startups. And we're helping startups fuel their ventures by getting these deals with these huge blue chip companies. And it's not for free. They're large 
They're large deals with good paychecks. And as you know, on your side, if a startup founder can show that they've worked with Nike or any of these types of brands, you know, the valuation changes, it helps them with other sales opportunities and the learnings, insane. So it's, it's sort of a win-win for, for everybody involved. Awesome. So I want to ask you about both sides of that marketplace, if that's okay. If, if it's okay, we can start with, the, I'll call it the corporate enterprise. So, so you have these corporate enterprise clients who come to you because they're looking for innovation, they're looking for R&D, or what, what brings you in the door for them to work with you? Yeah, they usually have a problem, right? There's usually okay. something that's bothering them. And the truth of it is, I just threw an event last week with Beth Comstock. Beth is the author of something called Imagine It Forward, bestseller. She was a former vice chair at GE. And she has this great line that the pace of change will never be slower than it is today. And I think corporate executives are starting to figure that out where, man, it is disrupt or be disrupted. And that mm-hmm. is a choice for them. And so for these established companies, they either can go R&D, right? Which is very important and something they do and they spend billions and billions of dollars doing. R&D is slow. It's generally a pretty slow process. What our sort of value proposition to them is, you should obviously keep doing R&D, but you've got to move faster now. And there is nothing like the startup ecosystem for finding ways to embrace R&D at hyperspeed. There are founders out there that are trying to solve the same problems, but they're not constricted by all your corporate challenges and processes. And it's a great way to solve problems, to connect with consumers in a new way. And quite honestly, like this is the pitch to the larger corporations. It's a way to signal to Wall Street investors, your employees, that you're committed to innovation. And, you know, I'll throw a stat at you. Like since 2002, 52% of the S&P 500 has disappeared. It's just gone. And over that same time period, brands that are perceived as most innovative have outperformed other brands by 237%. So you have this sort of feast or famine moment, this disrupt or be disrupted. And so that's what we do with the large corporations. We say, hey, look, we can plug in and be sort of an extension to your existing innovation team or your innovation team. And we help figure out for them what's right for their organization. And it's never a cookie cutter program. It's very specific for where they are, what challenges are most pressing for them. But it kind of, it hyperspeeds that problem solving for them. Gotcha. And I got to imagine before we flip to the other side, the founders and the startups and emerging companies, there's got to be some listeners out there saying, yeah, but can a corporation really change it? I know they say they do that. Will they really take it on? Have you seen traction gained by these companies? Like they're committed to this and they really embrace that emerging company kind of culture? Yeah, 100%. I'll give you two examples. I mean, I think at a sort of, without giving an example, but a big picture way of saying what we do differently is if you tie it to solving a problem, a business problem, Mm -hmm. it's not about quote unquote, embracing innovation, right? Like they're out there doing what they're supposed to do. There is something that is keeping them from getting their bonus, from performing for Wall Street. If you can tie the innovation piece to that, they're all in because that's what they get paid on. And so I think that's something we spend a lot of time on is why do you want to do this? What is the burning problem? And it has to be there. And I think that's a key differentiation rather than just being like, oh, have some startups come to your lobby. You know, and like a lot of people go to Silicon Valley twice a year and they say they're doing innovation or they go to CES. And that's just, that's nothing. That's, you know, that's going to the zoo. That's (laughs) that's startup tourism, right? And so for us, it's like, let's really figure out what it is. And, And right now, a great example of this, we launched something with the California Milk Association called the Milk Accelerator. And it's basically looking for the best startups around liquid milk. 
which sounds, you know, super specific, right? Like this doesn't apply to 99.9% of startups, but we're tapping into this sort of maker culture and people that are trying to create new products for the betterment of this huge organization that represents all these dairy families all throughout the state of California, which, you know, maybe not have not be perceived as quote unquote innovative, but they're taking their strengths, kind of marrying it with this entrepreneurial idea and mindset to really move their industry forward and create new opportunities for everyone involved. So I think the thing is to identify what the, the challenge is for the large corporations, get buy-in, and then build a program that works for their particular company. Because you can't just create something and cookie cutter it to every different organization or industry. It really it needs some understanding of how that corporation works. Awesome. Awesome. So let's talk about these founders and emerging companies because as they hear this, they're like, this Fred guy has the golden ticket to my unicorn, <laughs> right? Uh, so is there any, is there a certain type of founder or emerging company you're looking for or certain industries or how does that all work for the for the people who have the the early stage companies out there and are listening yeah so anyone that's listening feel free to to reach out it's it's fred at venturefuel.net so we look at hundreds of startups every month and what's kind of cool about us is you know this is the second company i founded this is the third real startup that I've been a part of on the leadership side of things. So I'm very founder friendly and I built the company specifically for founders. And by that, I mean, we don't take equity. We don't take a percentage of the deal and we don't waste their time on false opportunities. And so what that means is we get paid by these larger brands and we'll talk to founders, understand what they're doing, look over their pitch deck. We usually just give some feedback right away, just sort of for the good of the the world and to help them from our perspective. But like, we don't have them do anything unless there's a real tangible opportunity from one of these corporations and with dollars attached. This isn't like, hey, come do a pilot for free. There's always money involved. And the only thing that makes us frustrating for founders is we only work with them when there's real business opportunity. So they may have the coolest company in the world. It, you know, it could be a unicorn and we might just not have the right thing for them. And But we're very honest about that. So, you know, up until six months ago, if someone called me with a really interesting milk-based startup, (laughs) I would have, you know, said, thanks very much. Interesting. We'll get back to you. But if they called me today, I'd have a lot of excitement for them and a lot of of real tangible opportunities. So for founders, we're always looking, we're always talking to founders, we're always connecting and looking for ways to help them. But at the end of the day, you know, our, our boss is these corporations. And so we're looking really specifically for what works for whatever their problem is at that moment. And that changes a lot, which is both good and, and challenging. Perfect, perfect. So regardless of industry, industry agnostic, reach out right now. If there's a fit, you'll make it happen. If not, you kind of, it sounds like you're kind of building a stable of awesome companies and great funding sources and corporate partners that you can continue to marry together over time. Yep, you got it. Awesome. Awesome. As far as this ecosystem, how do you, I obviously you alluded to that if you solve a problem, everyone will play well together. At least from some of my experience I shared with you, had some experience in this space and you have corporations that have a certain kind of culture. You have usually this startup culture. One's not better or worse. They both have their pros and cons. When you get them in a room together, is is there any dancing that needs to be done or how do you get everyone to start really playing well and nice together? Yeah. And this is easily the greatest challenge. Mm-hmm. And after doing this for now, almost six years, I, I almost got it down. But it is, you know, startups don't speak corporate and corporate don't get right. startups at all. Right. And I've heard the analogy of being a startup founder is kind of like jumping out of a plane and building 
building wings on the way down to make sure you mm -hmm. don't crash. And no corporate culture can capture or create or embrace that sense of all-in urgency. It just, it, it's a different mindset. And so we speak both languages uh, mm -hmm. and we understand the differences. And we kind of, my 12-year-old nephew describes it as we, we act as Yoda to both sides. And it's true. You know, we, we try and eliminate, the first thing is we eliminate the wasted flirting, right? And corporations love to see startups. It's cool. It's fun. It's different. And startups love to pitch to corporations, right? Because there's like this golden ticket idea of like, oh my gosh, if X brand just knew what we did, you know, we're on to the next level. And the truth is that almost never works. So we spend a lot of time on the corporate side, defining the outcomes they want, very specifically the challenges they're looking to solve. And then we research and vet extensively. So as much as we're meeting with startups all the time, we laser focus on what we need for whatever the corporate challenge is. And then, and then we get in there and we don't let go. We don't make an introduction and say, hey, good luck. I hope it works out. We actually will run the partnerships, the pilot programs to help smooth things out, like dealing with corporate's legal and procurement procedures, which are mm -hmm. just really ridiculous for a startup to understand or, or deal with. But there's real reasons why the corporations have those. So we can help make that go faster. We can help smooth it out. And, you know, my favorite is when a corporation sends over, you know, a 75 page legal document and says, have your lawyers look at this. And I have to remind them that some of these founders don't have lawyers <laughs> look, to look at this or the cost of the lawyer is going to be equal to the, you know, the profit on the deal. So right. we kind of, we spend a lot of time with expectations, getting everyone on board with what the timelines should be because startup founders tend to overpromise. Mm -hmm. So part of our job is to really suss that out and we build in some buffers here or there. But it's, it is a dance all the time. And I will say for the founders listening, however long your pitch is, just cut it in half. <laughs> you care so deeply about it. You live and breathe it. You want to tell them about every nuance of, that you've thought about. They don't care. The corporations want to know how you solve their problem. And then they want to know all the details. So I would say be a little, little more direct and get to the point as quickly as possible. So a couple more questions we wrap up here. Let's assume they made that dance the first couple of dates and, and now they're in. What allows early stage or emerging company to really have success ongoing with that corporate client, right? So they, they got the pilot. What Besides the results, which is the obvious what typically helps them to have sustainable growth once they get into that world and get that quote unquote golden ticket? Yeah, I think, you know, not to kind of repeat myself, but it's about solving a problem mm -hmm. and, and defining that problem up front. And, and so if you know that you need to do X and you get the corporation to say what success is, and that's the key up front, what will success look like? I want a number or some metric that I know that I can at least measure as a startup founder. And then at the end of the program, you're able to say, you said as the corporate, this is what success looks like. And we delivered that times five or that plus one. Mm -hmm. That exercise of understanding upfront what success looks like, defining it, and then achieving it, A, that gives you something to talk about with everybody within that corporation. And like, the corporations we're working with have, you know, multi-departments, they're in many countries, they've got tons of brands. So you now have a calling card of proof, right? 
you do this with us, you get this result. And that, of course, then works with any other corporation. So it always seems annoying to spend that time up front and understand how to measure it. But spending the time and, and sometimes the money in understanding that you drove a result, mm-hmm. uh, that's the most important thing because the person you're working with at the corporation is going to rotate to a different business unit within that corporation or leave that corporation and you're back to zero unless you have some sort of proof of we were able to deliver at this level. And once you start stacking that proof from multiple mm-hmm. clients, then you start to become a business that grows, that scales, that gets recurring revenue. But it's really about getting those early use cases with results tied to them, not just sort of, hey, we did this and it was cool. You really need to define what success is. Absolutely. You know, it, it's establishing that trust in most early stage companies and founders. They're good at the integrity and the intent around what they're doing. The minute they can have their capabilities produce results on a repetitive basis, it's that simple. It's like, you know, you think about a sports analogy. The more times you get on base, the more times you have a chance to score, and the more games you're going to win. It's the same things. The more times you produce good results, the more often you're going to have success and continue to get being that traction. And I just, I love how simple you made that. Thank you for that. Of course. So in, in wrapping up here, I know you and I had briefly talked about it. And I can't wait to hear your answer. When you hear be investable, what does that mean to you? Oh man, I loved this question and excuse a brief tangent, but when my kid's sister graduated from college years ago, she said to me, you know, what, how do I get a job and what do I do when I get it? Like sort of like big life career advice. Mm -hmm. And, and I said, make yourself irreplaceable. And I just, I've said it to her for years, be irreplaceable. And, and what I meant by that is actually be investable. It works perfectly. And, and that means you need to be solving a problem of some sort and, That can be for investors, that can be for a corporation, that can be for consumers, your customers, ideally, right? Whoever that is. But if you're solving that problem, people are going to invest in you. And I think, I think there's this like race to be a unicorn, right? Everybody just running around and pitch Mm -hmm. decks and promises and, you know, valuations and, you know, founders just, they're not, all they do is raise money. And that's, I understand why. And there's a lot of value in that. And a lot of our, our best friends are, are investors. But to me, being investable means you are, you are solving problems that your consumers are giving you money for, which then means investors want to give you more money because they want some of that money. And it's going old school, right? It is about fueling your venture by delivering results. And so I think by being investable, you need to solve a problem someone else isn't solving or better than someone else is solving it. And then just keep solving that problem better, faster, more efficiently, and, and then start getting good at telling people about it. And then you're going to be investable. Awesome. Well, Fred, I want to thank you for joining us on the Be Investable podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Michael. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Great. Thanks again for listening to another amazing episode of the Be Investable podcast. My name is Michael Melfi, and I want to invite you to grab a copy of our recently released magazine. You can get it by going to www.getinvestable.com forward slash magazine. Just go there, put in your email address, and you'll get a copy sent to you. want to thank you so, so much for listening. And if you're looking for how you can get more information about how you can be investable, about what you can do to transform your business, go to www.getinvestable.com and sign up for a strategic call with one of our certified advisors. Once again, want to thank you for listening and look forward to having you join us on the next episode. 